0: At the moment of baptism, you are righteous. You are righteous. There's some concupiscence left, but you are righteous. If you die after, if you got run over by a bus after baptism, that'd be the best thing ever happened
1: to you. But it only um, immediately, because as soon as you uh, drive that right. car off the uh, lot, <laughs> you're already, you're already right, right. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. You fellas, doing well today? Yeah, man. Glad to hear it. So, Matt, anything you'd like to add to our discussion of stewardship from last week? Do you send a statement and a bill to the members of your congregation?
0: No, we every Sunday we flash pictures of my skinny children up on the screen, and and <laughs> we uh, we play really heartrending music, and we pass around the plates, <laughs> and say, "If you it's love true. Jesus, you'll give." Right? That's, <laughs> right. That's right. So no, we haven't we haven't done a pledge campaign. We we've we, we a capital campaign to pay off our mortgage, but we haven't done like a for the annual budget. We haven't done a, any. We don't do anything really special. We used oh, to yeah. do we used to send out pledge cards, but way back in the Episcopal Church, but that was when. You know, the Episcopal Church, you're a member if you were baptized and you're breathing and you're <laughs> you're member of the congregation, yeah. right? Uh but we try to we we change our membership commitments around after we left so that to be a member you have to, you know, be in church. You have to believe in Jesus, uh, be baptized and be giving and and so that just kind these of a high bar. <laughs> Who then can yeah, be saved? Yeah. <laughs> you have to you have to come to church. It's hard to know, but but you didn't in mean the Episcopal church you didn't you you had these massive new, shifts between attendance and members so yeah, you had like huge yeah. Showing up and you had uh, 500 members on No members. for sure. Yeah, so yeah we to reverse that.
2: We always we always threatened that um but it never was it was never going to fly that was a non-starter for the most part. I mean, we did talk about that Nick back You have in, to
1: start that from the beginning.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to So so do you do you submit a budget to the congregation at your annual meeting and then and then you just say pony up or what
0: well we we bet we budget based on what we, we took in the year before and okay. uh or I mean actually two years running we, we put up a budget based on that and uh nice. yeah we presented at the annual meeting and we haven't had to take pledge cards or anything people just give we we say we say you know the expectation of a member is that you're you're giving and sure. you know tithe is is it would be great and we try not to be manipulative we say this is we need where we need money to run and you know we'll, when we're short we'll say hey we're short of money please help us um, I hate the manipulative thing we, you know, have you ever bought those packets for uh, getting your church to get more money <laughs> just once never someone,
2: again <laughs> yeah, you did? Someone sent is that me what you used last year Nick
0: no comment <laughs> <laughs> someone sent me one just to look at and it was it was just you know a, a five week preaching series on yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. Why you're I didn't really use any of those Christians. just for the
1: record <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs>
2: Well I have a hard time. I mean, I always point out this a hard time, like we talked about last week with the um you know sort of the consumerist mentality of it, and um, I was always uncomfortable with you know this is what your how far your dollar is going, how far we 've stretched it, you know what we can do with so little and I was like, you know we had one campaign a long time ago in a church that was basically a campaign mailer like will your children have faith dun, dun, dun. and it was like you know and it was like remember and um scrooge that amazing movie with bill murray when they talked about uh if you miss the, pre- the premiere remember and had like the airplane exploding and all the kids crying and they were like don't miss scrooge i was like you might as well just put in you know get your card in because you're you know toxic rivers you know cancer you know, <laughs> terrorism, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but those are effective ads, sadly. Yeah. Not well, that's to pretty produce cool, man.
1: love in your heart, but per- perhaps a few
2: dollars out of your wallet. I've been yeah. so hard, and I have to say, just as a shout out to Christchurch here, like we have, not only do we have a healthy budget, which I'm grateful for, but we have a, um, a ministry partner in the Diocese of uh, Marsabit in Kenya, northern Kenya, that basically like five years ago, we just decided to give them $20,000 a year and they've been building churches ever since and wow. the when i when uh ted Duvall, the director was on sabbatical last year i was charged to me to raise this money and i was a little nervous of course because i have had difficulty squeezing blood from rocks um <laughs> for things that don't involve direct positive uh you know what's in it what's in it for me type things and all i literally did was like two weeks before say well Bishop Campeche is coming in two weeks, and I've got this giant "let's make a deal" uh, big novelty <laughs> check that I've already filled out for twenty thousand dollars, and I'm hoping to present it to him uh, when he arrives. And lo and behold, two weeks later, you know, I talk to the treasurer, and there we have it. And I mean, it was, wow. I was just weeping, you know, because it was like this is just, and we're not a, you know, I mean, we're we're a normal congregation, but I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's not like in the uh, super wealthy, it's not super poor, it's just a normal average congregation, and. And it was, you know, built up my faith. It was so great to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm encouraged uh, when people, um, myself included, you know, find that they actually do uh, put their time, talent, and treasure neck in places other <laughs> than uh, their own, for their own use. So praise God.
1: Well, let's transition now to our topic for this week. We're going to be bringing the Middle Ages right up to the present day, sort of like the restaurant Medieval Times, place I've always wanted to go. It needs a good bleeding. (laughs) 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 On October 23rd, 2020, that's five days ago as we record this, the Catholic News Service announced that the Vatican was extending the time to obtain full indulgences for souls in purgatory five days ago not 500 years here's here's a quote from the article quote the new provisions were made after a number of bishops asked for guidance as to how the faithful could perform the works required for receiving a plenary indulgence given the ongoing pandemic so apparently under normal circumstances you can only obtain full indulgences during the first week of November, and they've now extended the deadline for the whole month. So guys, I thought we could do a little role play this week. Matt, you'll be Martin Luther, yeah. JD, you're Johann <laughs> Tetzel. That's right. <laughs> Just okay. kidding. Uh, but seriously, help our audience every out.
2: Every time a, uh, What is it? A, every time a coin in the copper coffer rings, rings, a soul from Purgatory, purgatory springs. 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 Yeah, that's right. That'll, that'll that'll sell. And you'll get a toaster too. Apparently
1: it's selling as of this week. <laughs> I um, mean, a
2: lot of money. More we well, our audience out here, what, what
1: are indulgences, why are they such bad news, and why are they worth talking about for people like us who aren't Catholic?
0: Our indulgences are, are tied up with the Roman Catholic notion of purgatory, mm-hmm. and the idea is that if uh, because they do not accept this uh, understanding of justification by faith, and the idea that once one comes to faith One is given, or the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, and it's an external righteousness. Um, They understand justification to be uh, the process by which you are made righteous by, yes, by the grace of God working through the sacraments over the course of time. Um, But since it's an inherent process, an internal process, um, you, by your... Works can either cooperate or not, and you can do damage to the grace of justification that you were given at baptism, they would say. And uh, you can do such damage that some, some sins are deadly to that grace. They were called mortal sins. Mm-hmm. But other sins are... are venial. Yeah, venial. They, they, damage, they damage that grace. And if you die in a state of venial sin, where you have sins that are not deadly, but they're not... Um, they're mostly dead. You're mostly right. <laughs> then you go. Then you get to go to purgatory, where you pay for those those venial sins. now the language about around purgatory has been cleaned up in modern in the modern era. It's not, it's no longer where you're you're actually a, you're you're being purged in a kind of punitive sense, or you're atoning in a, in a sense for your sins. It's more you're just being cleansed. Whereas if you go back and you read some of the things that were uh, around the Middle Ages, you were you were suffering. You're suffering for your. Sure. Um, well, it's for in comedy, I mean, go back and read. Exactly. Uh, so, so if you know Uncle Ted is in purgatory, but suffering, your relatives alive on Earth can help yeah, you out.
2: You got it. Yeah, but you, that Uncle Ted, he had it coming. So let's yeah. about Aunt Susie. <laughs> Aunt Susie's well, to you, deal with. Uncle Ted, I'm happy to know about. Uh, well, that's why you pay you, you
0: pay a priest or priests in a chantry to say mass for you, so
2: that when you die and you know you're going to pur- purgatory, they can say masses for you while you're. Yeah, it was this incredible lever, it was incredible like World Bank system that had going on, you know, where you fight wars or you need capital campaigns and you could, you could, you know, ratchet up the interest rates, as it were, in purgatory um, or lower them as needed. And, you know, this is in part what Johannes Tetzel was doing in Germany, was trying to raise money to help um, offset wars and the building of the. St. Peter's and there's all this, all this, you know, need for cash flow going on. And, you know, it was quite a elaborate and sophisticated system. Um, and you can see how at the heart of it, when Luther, when he eviscerated the heart of this, you know, it really um, changed the entire system. And, and, you know, people didn't realize how radical it was at the beginning because uh, it, was, it was almost impossible to, to, to foresee uh, what was going to happen when you removed this, this idea Of the temporal and eternal connection through the work, mediatory work of the specific church and the role of the priest. And we see the effects of that, you know, down to this day. But to argue that it wasn't at the heart of the Reformation, which is some people do, um, is just wrong. Because it, you know, there were a lot of differences that the reformers ended up having about statues and intercessions of saints and the role of the priest and the church investments, and all these were, were you know, eventually reformed or continuing to be reformed. But fundamentally, this lay this laid lied lied at the heart of the um <laughs> of the. This lay, can you change that? No, it's <laughs> Anyway, it um, the, the heart of the, um, of, the, of the disagreement, because this is one of the things that Luther saw going on in Wittenberg. And you can see the box. They actually have one of these, these old boxes um, in the, the Reformation Museum there. And he saw his parishioners, you know, foregoing milk and clothing and, you know, dental work to the extent that it existed um, in service of getting Aunt Sue out of well, out of Crawling purgatory.
1: up the steps of the church, right?
2: Like- yeah. You know, and then he goes to Rome and he sees the, you know, the Caligula, um, you know, the, the, he sees Burning Man going on over there and comes back and says, something isn't right here. And then you know, on top of the Bible, starts reading this, and you know, and it's it's a heart of our Anglican tradition. I mean, Article Twenty Two, you know, says um, of Purgatory, the Romish doctrine concerning Purgatory, pardons, worshiping and adoration, as well as images of relics and also invocation of saints, is a fond thing, vainly invented, grounded upon no warranty of Scripture, but rather repugnant to the Word of God. I mean, then you know, we were we were right there with the rest of the um, reformers in rejecting uh, Purgatory. So, you know, it's something that's that's uh, kind of part of our DNA, is this, this opposition.
1: I, w- I want to talk in a little bit about how um, the idea of purchasing your way out of purgatory exists, whether or not you actually believe in purgatory, which m- m- very few people now do. But first, I wanted to... Take a minute to talk about the difference that Matt alluded to earlier between the imputation of Christ's righteousness and the infusion of righteousness over time, which I think is a very poorly understood idea and certainly central to the good news of the gospel. Do you want to say a little bit more about the difference between imputation and infusion?
0: Right. So we would say, at least in a logical sense, that the justification is an immediate thing um, in the sense that when someone comes to faith, um, the righteousness of Christ, his work, his fulfillment of the law is is counted as if it was that person's um, because of that person's union with Christ. At that point, you're, you're one with Christ. So all, all that's his is yours and all that's yours is his. Um, and likewise, just as, as you're Credited with his righteousness, he 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 takes your sin, he and it's, it's done away with at the cross. So there's an immediacy to to justification within uh, reform thought, and I, I would argue, you know, biblical thought. Okay, right. um, yeah, yeah, that that, that uh, Rome dismisses. They would they would argue they have argued that baptism is the is the means by which one is one is justified. Whether you whether you receive that baptism in faith immediately or not, you, you, that actually justifies you in in this concept grace becomes kind of a thing a substance yeah almost a substance yeah it's injected into you and Mm -hmm. it works to at that moment at the moment of baptism you are righteous you are Righteous, there's some concupiscence left, but you are righteous. If you die after, if you got run over by a bus after baptism, that'd be the best thing that ever happened to you.
1: But it only uh, immediately, because as soon as yeah, you drive that right.
0: car off the yeah. lot,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're already, you're already here. right, right. So then you, the whole task of the rest of your life is cooperating with that grace that's been infused in you. And and again, like I said in the beginning, sin can damage that, and uh, it does damage that. And so you just, that's why it's so important to go to confession regularly, because if you if you do happen to commit a mortal sin, the only way back out of hell. Is is to go to confession and get the absolution of the church through your priests. Um, but you know confession also does away with with um, venial sins. So so really really it really uh, Shiite Catholics are in the confession booth <laughs> <laughs> regularly, um, getting rid of their of their sins because you never know where you can die. And then the, the communion, the sacrament of. of uh, the body and blood of Christ is also a means by which the, the grace is strengthened in you, but it's this law you never, you can never, a Roman Catholic can never say, I know where I'm going when I
2: die. Yeah, it's presumptuous. I've had this conversation with a ton. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's beyond our ability to say, which is exactly the place that the reformers picked up on because it was this very certainty and the confidence um, that they were after that they found through the scriptures by faith alone. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's important to say at this point that the, you know, cause I have a lot of Roman Catholic friends and I have a lot of respect actually for a lot of the uh, sophistication of, of much of the theology to the extent that it's not tied directly to the authority and exclusive, well, the exclusive authority of the church, because, you know, the, the ends that we are hoping for, obviously the production of the fruit of the spirit and the life of the believer, you know, faith, hope, love, joy, you know that these, that we want to see people sanctified. We want to see people um, reconciled. We want to see people, as it were, become better. Um, you know, we share that goal. It's just what happened at the time of the Reformation is that the mediatory role of the church was was taken away. And it wasn't just the Bible as the, as the sort of the detractors would say, oh, you have this paper pope, they would say, you know, that the, but it was it was more importantly, faith alone and Christ alone, you know, the solas of the of the Reformation, which when properly understood, do help foment this the, the exact sort of growth and development that we have always wanted, you know, Christians have always shared. But it removed that ma- that point of uncertainty, and it removed the hook and crook, um, or the carrot and stick power of the priest and the pope, as it were, which um, you know destabilized much of Western Europe to be, you know, just. Practically speaking, but at the same time, freed up the Christian, as Luther says, and his freedom of a Christian. You know, the Christian is is a slave to all and subject to all, and is also free from all. And th- there's this wonderful sort of new freedom that Christians have um, because the fear and the uncertainty has been answered by Christ, and then their life can now be lived fully in service of the love of God and love of neighbor. Uh,
0: that love issue is is, is really important, yeah. and when I when I talk about this and I'm teaching on this question at church. You know, one of the analogies I make is between you're working for your boss and you're, you know, washing your dishes for your wife. You know, if you're at work, you, you to get ahead, you work hard and you want to please your boss because your boss has the op- has the power to fire you or to hire you or to keep you on, to promote you or to demote you. And so what are you working for you? Well, you're working for your, yourself really? you're working for your money, you're working for your uh, prosperity. Um, do you really love your boss? I mean are you, are, you, are you working because you just have this this union with your boss and you're, you're really caring about his you know him? No, I mean maybe 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 there's some funny stuff going on, but usually it's just because <laughs> it's just because you, you want your money. you want to get you want to get your money with him. So there's not real love there. However, you get married, um, there's a covenant established, uh, you have made ballots to one another, you have established uh, this kind of union that doesn't, de- doesn't depend on, you know, it's a, it's a lifelong thing. I'm talking in an ideal sense here, I know that they're bad marriages, but in its ideal sense. Um, and so why do I wash my di- wash dishes in the evening, even though I hate washing dishes? Is it because I'm afraid Ann's gonna divorce me? Is it because I am worried that if I don't wash the dishes, I'm not gonna get her, you know, I'm not gonna eat her getting me something I want sometimes, but you know, more than, more more than that, more often than that is I love her. I love and she loves me. And so so the work in the context of marriage is not so that you can stay married necessarily. It's not so you can you can you can get something, it's because you already have something. It's a fruit freedom to give of yourself for the other because you're because you're you already have this established
1: relationship it's the difference <clears throat> between fruit and work right this uh great distinction that paul makes in Colossians between the fruit of the spirit and the work of the flesh you you can get ahead by the work of your flesh but the list of things that he elucidates as coming as a result of that work is all terrible and horrifying things. The fruit of the spirit of a regenerated heart, a new life in Christ, is actually love and joy right. and peace and the whole That's list. Right. And so you might actually find yourself doing something that is loving almost despite yourself. I think this is what Jesus is getting at when he says that crazy thing about your right hand, not knowing what your left hand is doing. Like the, the separation that you have in yourself from scoring points or earning somebody's lifetime out of purgatory becomes an actual natural thing that even your two hands don't know what's happening because it's the fruit
2: of a new heart. Amen. And that's exactly the heart of the distinction between faith and love, you know, that has been part of the, again, the Reformers' argument with the Roman Catholics. So you can see this in the, um, particularly in the Lutheran uh, catechisms, Because, you know, love is the law. And so it's all the good things that you're supposed to do. But unless it's done freely and by faith, as Paul says, it's a sin because it's an an obligation. It's sort of a servile obeisance. And that's why when Paul talks about in in galatians 2 you know when he says i have been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ who lives in me in the life i now live i live by what by faith in the one who gave himself and died for me that's natural in that conversation is where we begin to see the fruit of faith not the fruit of love although the fruit of faith is the work of love i mean this is the radical distinction and so when you have when you remove that fear And that, and you give that certainty by faith, then you are actually enabling, you know, what the reformers used to call the enabling word. You're enabling people to actually walk in faith to do the work of love that you have set before us, as we say. And it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's an easy thing to say, of course, it's a harder thing to, to believe, but it begins fundamentally with just reading the scriptures, which is what the reformers did. And then putting it into the liturgy, which gratefully our reformer, you know, Cranmer among others did. And then educating the clergy and then putting in the mouth of preachers, you know, day in and day out, that this is how God is reconciled to the world, not through your works, but on His, you know, by grace and not through works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, this can't be said loud enough or more or too often, you know, and this is the radical outworking of second corinthians where paul says you know that uh that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we would become the righteousness of god that this is the the great the great what luther would call the fröhliche wechsel the, the the joyful exchange you know between our sin for his and his righteousness for ours by faith and this is totally undercuts any idea of uh, purgatory or sort of um, you know uh, churchly mediation um, which of course uh, brought down the whole system you know? but I think to your point Nick what's interesting is that people still even non-Christian people I find yeah. still believe in some um, mediation you know, it doesn't have to be the church it doesn't have to be God but there is mediation between you and goodness somehow Well, I wrote a, I wrote a blog post which I think you probably still find um, like 10 years ago when I started understanding what carbon offsets were You know, and I think it called it um, uh, plenary indulgence of a 21st century kind or something very, very witty, I'm sure. But um, punny is what it was. But, you know, that's all a carbon offset is basically I want to live my life, you know, the way I want. Um, how much do I owe in order to keep flying my jet? You know, what do I need to, do I need to send an army or in a crusade Pope? You know, I mean, I don't feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like having a bunch of concubines and I'm a King. And so I really don't want to have to be inconvenienced with doing anything I don't want to do. So what do I need to give you? You know, you need a building, you need a hospital, you need a church, whatever. And that's exactly what carbon offsets are for a certain, uh, class of people in particular who, um, See the the science, you know, that's clear about greenhouse gas and carbon emissions that come from private jets, and yet, you know, uh, want to still go to Davos once a year or wherever the case may be. And so, what do I owe you, you know? And, and but it just goes down the list, you know. I mean, think about because because guilt is real, you know, we're sinners, and guilt is real, and the law speaks, you know, whether it's man-made, uh, you know, some some man-made reflection of the divine law, which ultimately is, you know, you shall justify yourself. And so when we have an opportunity to to offset that that accusation um, in some way, shape or form well, if that you can monetize that very quickly. You know, I mean, look at how people raise money. You know, we talked about from the very beginning, Matt. I mean, that's the easy, you know, that it's 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 relatively easy to guilt and shame people into giving you money, you know, when you have a righteous cause. And so, and when you put a little crying baby up uh, for most people that, you know, whatever you're asking for. I mean, that's that because we, you know, we are stamped with the image of God. And so part of his creation with in the need we instinctually, cry, you know, reach out to. But, but, so, I think that you know there's there's a truth about our guilt and shame and fear that that purgatory speaks to. It's just speaking incorrectly about the the answer as it were
0: there's there's also just the, the role the church plays in this is is just odd uh, so she has, according to the Roman Catholic Church, she has this treasury of merit that she can distribute, and I think Luther asked the question well. Why doesn't she distribute it? What, if you had the, if you had the power, if this were true, if, if the Pope has the power to grant indulgences to people in purgatory, yeah, not even keep going? Why doesn't he just do it? <laughs> Give them, That's right. I mean, like, Jesus like, died for their sins. Rome says so. What? Why? Why? Make, is it, rain. What yeah, make, make rain it
2: rain. That's yeah. Make rain down grace. <laughs> what is the problem here? That's right. <laughs> and you're free and you're free and you're free.
0: <laughs> right. So so it's it makes the makes the church into this kind of stingy uh, you know evil you know, holding back what yeah. are you can do. You <clears throat> well that's the logic. That you're doing.
2: <clears throat> that's the logic that actually began to eat away Luther's confidence in the in the pa- uh, the, the papacy, so much so that Cadogeny uh, you know the Cardinal Cajetan, who actually was probably the real catalyst for the for the Reformation, because if the Pope, you know, being a politician as he were, could actually have sort of navigated some way out of it, he probably would have. But Cajetan was arguing with Luther and Luther and about the power of the Pope. And at one point, and this is this is well documented in Philip Carey's um, work on Luther, but among other places too, Cajetan evidently said something about the fact that even if there had been a fully baptized believer, repentant and not in danger of any mortal venial sins. Who then died? The Pope had the authority to prohibit that person from going to heaven, and that was when Luther heard this. He sort of backed away and started realizing that, like that, Preach for his holsters, calling him the Anti Christ. Yeah. He actually started, you know, and so that was like the 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 final straw. Was this this logical end of exactly what you're talking about, Matt? this idea that if they have all this stuff and they're supposed to be for us, (laughs) not against us, well then, then what's, what's the problem, you know, what's, what's going on here. And, you know, and I think it it was the ultimate end of a system that, um, you know, the logic took someone to walk through both in their intellect and in their spirit. Uh, Not that those are distinct, but you know what I mean? Like sort of, sort of viscerally and intellectually logically through the logical ends of this system in order to reach its, its, false conclusion and then that's where that's what Luther did you know where they say Erasmus hatched the egg that Luther Erasmus laid the egg that Luther hatched you know like when they took the Bible over against what the church had actually been teaching and preaching for centuries at the very least at that point um, then one of these things does not you know add up and gratefully and thankfully for us it was the scriptures that, that proved supreme over the church. Well all these years later you would think that the
1: 95 theses would be about like what exactly happens in Holy Communion or something like that. But if you actually read the theses, they're all about indulgences. Like that was the spark that made Luther say, I'm nailing these things to the door of this church and we're going to figure this out. It was indulgences. And it was because of these exact things that you're saying, who does have the authority in this? Is it the scriptures or is it the church? I was rereading the same article that you mentioned at the beginning
0: of the of the show you just kind of wonder they're talking about okay i if you go on all souls day or all saints day or whatever it is and you pray at the grave of a departed person that gives you indulgences or you or you go and you just uh, the first think,
1: week of november
0: now. yeah first week only <laughs> No, if it's if you miss, if you're on the wrong day it doesn't count but if you're gonna, but then there's also the one that you, you, if you pray uh uh, or read the Bible in front of a statue of Mary yeah. or something on, on a certain yeah. day. Then, so you have to wonder, just reading it, what's what's going on in the head of the person who's who's following this? Well, <clears throat> is this is there any real uh, is there is there love for God? Is there, I mean I don't know. We can't we can't we can't psychoanalyze anybody, but those kinds of regulations don't see that it seems that they would ever produce any kind of genuine, heartfelt prayer, it becomes kind of mechanistic. I say this here at this time and I get that. Yeah.
2: But I see, I I agree with you. And I think that's where the tragedy of sort of modern you know protestantism sort of broadly understood um is reveals itself as well because a lot of people who would be you know shocked and and horrified if they thought that they were anyway connected to roman catholicism nevertheless essentially have a fundamentally roman catholic understanding of the way god works and the way the church works because they say you know if you pray enough you'll get blessed if you if you give enough you'll get rewarded if you you know if then sort of sort of scenario and the problem is that as i point out to everyone is that in a long enough timeline or, or as it might be the short enough timeline, eventually the world turns against you, you know, like in a fight club, you know, like you might need to come to grips with the fact there is a God and he doesn't like you. Like, well, that's the God of if then, you know, if you get your act together, then your kids will be healthy and wealthy and wise and you'll be, you'll be uh, rich and famous and successful and all the things that if you do it then, well, then, you know, it get, like I said, it eventually those all turn against you because of sin, death and the devil And if that's the God that you have been worshiping, well, it's unsurprising that at the very point of your most desperate need, You know when the world finally seems to be at victory you know when the the stone table and then the witch is standing over you with the deep magic uh if you have no deeper magic as c.s lewis would say well then it's unsurprising that i have personally had to at least minister to if not bury people who died in a certain sense of despair about this god now a certain hope of course um that we buried them in and you were able to preach and teach but you say you know you lived your entire life under this this bargain, um, that was, that's not a biblical bargain, you know, the bargain, um, and it has been answered. And I think, you know, so that's what I, I find, I mean, we've talked about this before, the, the number of people who are in the process of dying, who say, I hope I make it, you know, who are, who are Protestants or who are, you know, should, and it's heartbreaking for me, which has redoubled my, my energy and effort to teach and preach and to get on this podcast, you know, 10 people, you know, 10 righteous people, one righteous, like who cares? Like somebody who possibly at the reach of this podcast uh, here now, you know, that your righteousness has been purchased by Christ and not of your own. And then by faith alone, you can have the confidence that you will stand before him clean and washed and redeemed. And it will, you know, you know, you have not done enough, you know, <laughs> like no. Um, and that is good news for those who cry out to the Lord.
1: The kind of God that a sinful human likes best is the one that will allow us to participate a little bit in our salvation. Whether it's standing in the right spot to pray or making a pilgrimage to the right area at the right time of the month or paying a certain fee, this is the kind we like best. And I'm reminded as I listen to you guys of the story of Naaman from Second Kings, who has leprosy and is told to go visit the prophet Elisha. And he shows up like Roland with money and clothes and showing off how much, how easily he can afford the healing that he assumes he'll have to purchase. And Elisha doesn't even come out of his house, right? He sends a servant out to go tell Naaman to go wash in the nasty river across the way. Naaman is angry. He's like, I could have jumped in the river, cleaner rivers at home. How dare you ignore all the money I've brought with me to purchase my healing? And he's going to go away. He's not going to do it. He's going to forsake his healing. And it comes down to his servants who say, hey, boss, you were ready to do something hard and complicated with a lot of steps that involved you standing in the right spot and saying the right prayers and paying a lot of money. Shouldn't you be overjoyed? that you've actually only been asked to do something easy. And of course, Naaman does go and wash in the river and is cleansed. And in the same way, we love the idea of a complicated ritual we have to follow to participate, even just that little bit in our cleansing. But it's such good news to hear that what we thought we were going to have to work for is actually ours for free. Amen.
2: Now, I do think, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Amen. I always picture that as like one of these drainage canals, you know, yeah. like um, that's what like Elijah was living in like a, you know, like a hut of, underneath an overpass next to a drainage <laughs> canal. That's kind of my picture. <laughs> down by the in uh, a van down by the river. That's right. That's right. But, you know, I think that we, we could address to to a certain degree. I think that there is a pastoral reality that, that the whole indulgence and in purgatory idea is addressing, which is, which is that, you know, there was some hope for, evil uncle john you know that there was once he died you know got kicked in the head by a mule and no one liked him anyway but you know we didn't like him dislike him so much that we wanted him to be you know his head frozen whatever whatever level of hell that is and eat and buy demons you know like we didn't really dislike him that much you know and so there was <clears throat> there was a pastoral idea you can see how this developed you know and i think that that that's what we need to continue to to sort of realize or at least i don't know what do you think about that matt i mean i think that you know in terms of in terms of the way that the church was dealing with you know infant death with um you know the higher quick and and speedy mortality rates i think that there was a there was, it wasn't all nefarious the way this developed. And so I think that when we, when we do baptize, you know, people, when we do give them these concrete um, sort of beacons of hope in their lives, like that is things that people can hold on to, but it's, again, we've, we've reordered the, the entire economy, you know, I mean, the baptism is not now work that is performed by the church on behalf of eradicating sin. It's the, you know, the indelible sermon about, um, about who went before you in this, you know, it's Romans six, you know, you have been baptized into Christ you'll be raised in him you know just as you will be raised with him and it's it's this new system but it's using the same the same a lot of the same um tools as it were pointing towards the ultimate hope i mean that's what because because i think you know i think that's 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 something we continue to wrestle with i mean i actually was just teaching a class on second timothy and, and realized when in my research which i i didn't know before that when um Paul talks to Timothy about the household of an, an uh, do you know this how this this is where uh, this is one of the the, the key texts for the argument about praying for the dead because there 's some argument as to whether uh had been was dead when Paul was commending prayers for him and his family, or was he alive and this is just a divide like there 's no there 's no way to understand it, but you know it it worked its way out into um, the pastoral prayers for the dead that you know re- required some sort of movement from Uncle Ted from you know level five to level four or wherever the direction is, whereas the reformers rejected that you know rightly so because Hebrews and amongst other places says it's pointed once for men to die and wants to be judged, and yet there's still this This sort of um, visceral need to hope for those who have died, particularly if you knew them, you know, Uh, which brings me back to the original point, which is it, especially if you knew them, then you would hope that their hope is the same that you have, which is not in themselves, but in the shed blood of Christ for their sins. You know, it's like I tell people all the time, you know, I've had to bury people that I didn't know very well and they come to me and they say, You know, I want to give you a list, sit down and just tell you how great a guy he was. You know, it's Mm -hmm. so great. You know, this is what he did. Um, He helped the little sisters of the poor and he walked, you know, old ladies across the street and he, you know, he only cussed a little bit, but not really that bad. And, you know, he drank a little, but not too much. And he was just this great guy. And I always say like, look, that's fine. And I'm sure he was a really nice man and I wish I had known him, but that's not in any way what his hope will be relying on. And I'm grateful that he was baptized. He seemed to be a member of this church and, um, you know, we're going to preach here at this funeral and you know i mentioned something about the person and but i think that's where we have is we are tasked with with resetting the entire system um the sinful heart needs to be you know not just re, re-educated but 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 crucified with christ and raised and by the power of the spirit we can begin to see people actually finding their hope in something other than themselves and that's that's contrary to the entire system of purgatory and sort of mediatory sacrifice in that way
0: this is this is why sometimes preaching the gospel, people will come away with just feeling like they've heard the most negative possible message they could ever hear. That that you are preaching despair, because the gospel has to begin with you can't do anything. You're, you 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 could you should cease all efforts right now at self justification because you're, you are you are dead. You're <laughs> dead, right? You, so stop that. And uh, and even after even after you've stopped that and trusted in Jesus, st- still don't think now. Now my work begins. In some evangelical circles, it's okay. Walk down the sawdust tra- trail, sign the prayer card saying, "Do you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior?" And then get to work because that's evangelical purgatory. Yep, <laughs> right. Yes. right, right, right. the cross is back there, in the in my <laughs> past, that's what saved me to begin with. But now I've I've got to you know I've got to just really
2: buckle down. Yeah, Jesus um, gets you in, but the bouncers yeah. might get you out. I got my you... second chance,
0: and it's almost, it's almost like the um, you see in reform circles too i think i think fruit checking is is how that works itself out in more calvinist reformed ways of thinking right so uh yeah hey, i'm justified me. by the work oh, of Jesus Lord. christ alone but look you know am i really producing the fruit that shows that i have the faith and maybe i'm not you know
1: I'm really-, really we're into checking the fruit of others more than ourselves yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to clean the outside?
0: I don't think that Sister Mary really is a Christian or she wouldn't have,
2: you know, she wouldn't have said that about Sister Joan. Right. Well, I've been struck by that. You know, we go back to, again, your your um, new membership role uh, requirement, Matt, because, you know, I've been in churches that have had um, less, you know, sort of strident membership requirements. And there's some there's some argument for that, perhaps. But I think when it comes to the work of the church, like, you know, this quote unquote fruit checking you're mentioning, you know, that actually happens organically, as it were, um, amongst people that love each other. You know, this is what happens. Like, you know, if I, like, I'm I'm thinking of two or three couples in particular right now who are having a tough time and I'm working with them um, because I have grown to love them and they have grown to see me as someone who isn't sitting up there saying, you know, let me inspect you you know my white glove of your marriage and your relationships and see how things are 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 working out it's that that i've been you know open with my realities they've been open with theirs and it's a genuine you know so it's a genuine work of of practically speaking fruit checking you know are you being loving kind generous faithful you know but it doesn't in any way or at least it hasn't in any way exploded into you know who says who are you to to judge or you know what are you doing and i think this is the power of the of the genuine community of believers being brought together by the power of the spirit who genuinely who who are resting upon this hope not in themselves who confess this inability to to do anything good but for the mercies of God in Christ and that seedbed then grows relationships that actually begin to produce the the wanted outcome of perhaps these churches that have these strident fruit checking measures or or purgatory you know like the you don't need the fear of purgatory it turns out according to the bible in order to produce the fruit of the spirit what actually produces the fruit of the spirit is the proclamation of the gospel over and over again, and the death-dealing work of the law that brings a seed to the ground, and lest it die, it cannot be raised, and that continues to bring forth fruit is just something that, if you hadn't seen it, you may not believe it. If we hadn't read it or heard it, we wouldn't have believed it, as Paul said. But this is what we're doing to the Corinthians, right? What we heard, this is what we're doing. What we heard, we came to believe, and now we're teaching it to you. And this is the, this is continued to be the work of the church since the time of the Reformation, in particular, based upon scriptures, which, which obviously obviate the need for uh, the fear of purgatory or the um, uncertainty of the fruit of your own exertion. And I mean, I couldn't be more happy about, grateful for that. And Nick, we've talked about this for a lot. And Matt, you may have the same experience, but I I grew up in churches that would consider themselves the farthest thing from being Roman Catholic. And yet, whether it was expressly, uh, explicitly stated by them, or it was just in the water it's certainly, the system was not altogether different with respect to my effort and the reward that would come. And I've been grateful to have been delivered, literally, I, mean, I feel like I've been delivered from that, that, uh, that purgatory, <laughs> actually, you know. One of the very formative
1: experiences of my professional life was very early on, we were doing our clinical pastoral education at the VA hospital in Pittsburgh. And I walked into this, hospital room which is what you do you're wearing a collar that you have not yet earned and you walk into these hospital rooms and you have no idea what's on the other side of those doors and i walked into this one room and there was just a normal guy sitting in a normal bed and i made the mistake of asking him how he was doing yeah (laughs) how's it how's it going buddy yeah he said well (laughs) son i'm dying and i just remember like the blood draining from my face and not having any idea what to say i must have choked something out Because I'll never forget what he said next, which is, I think I've lived a pretty good life. I'm just not sure it was good enough. And that is purgatory. That's a living purgatory. And can you imagine if all I had to say to him was, well, gosh, I hope so too. Or I hope you get better so you can do some good works to make sure Or give me 50 bucks and I'll make it happen for you. (laughs) That's right. What I actually had had was the announcement of good news, which I hope could soothe his soul, which is that your life, sir, though I just walked in this room five seconds ago, I know that it wasn't good enough. You're right. Your fears are well-founded, but cast your cares upon Jesus Christ, who was good enough for you and good enough for me and it is his righteousness that will that will cover you and reconcile you to an almighty god and that Amen. that was i mean i am as a minister i wouldn't be able to do this if i didn't have that to say Amen. it's the only peaceful thing we can offer the world
2: yeah, I remember calling Liza like early on when we were we were engaged, and I've just been introduced to sort of this Reformation understanding, explicit um, Reformation understanding of long gospel justification by faith. You know, sort of these classic doctrines and. Uh, and through galatians and i uh just kept telling her like this actually might be true like can you believe this if this if this isn't this might actually be real like we could be forgiven like actually forgiven and then we don't have to be afraid and there's no like there's no sort of bargain in this anymore or or uh and and i remember she was sort of freaked and i think we've talked about this before i went home to one of my roommates and started telling him about this and he was also engaged and i don't know if he listens to this chris if you're listening but anyway he um (laughs) in in the context of this I began saying things which probably are un, unadvised, like, well, if even if you got married and you cheated on your wife, you could still be forgiven of something like that, you know? <laughs> and that was very but you even, know, even 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 if you did, even if you like you know went crazy and killed a hundred people, like you could, and you know this was very not only probably wasn't the most advised uh, analogy to use, <laughs> uh, particularly for a newlywed who would, you know uh, or engaged person, but that was what I was. That was blowing my mind. It was like, wait, that's how sufficient the blood of Christ is for sinners. Like that's how, because up until then I had been operating it, apparently under some idea that I was. That had had I been the only human alive, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He would have just had to sort of, you know, reprimand me a little bit, like wag his finger, like, "Hey there, son, you know, get back in line, you joker." You know, but instead, it was like, "This is how deep my sin is. This is how deep the sin of the world is, and yet, this is how deeper still the shed blood of Christ for that sin is." And it was well, it changed. My mind. I wouldn't be here if I didn't if I hadn't been inspired in that way, and I certainly wouldn't uh, be as passionate about it if i didn't believe it to be not only true but um but the best news the world has ever heard (laughs) i I remember trying to explain this to a roman
0: catholic person who attends one of our bible studies regularly and he he's grown up in the roman catholic church all his life he's in his 80s so it's that way of thinking through uh salvation is just ingrained in him he's he's that's the way he thinks through things. So whenever he hears me say, uh, "Yeah, even no matter what sin you have committed or sin you will commit, for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, His blood is sufficient," he hears that as just another mechanism, right? So, so the the mechanism of the Roman Catholic of the Roman Catholic who stands before the the statue of Mary and says the Rosary and gets a plenary indulgence that's how he hears us say we had to believe he thinks that he, he, in his mind, belief is this kind of uh, exchange of goods where you, you give the faith and then, you yep. and then you get the, you get the reward. And so he says, well, what's stopping somebody from just saying they believe in Jesus That's right. and, and then going off and, and living the same way they live. And I, you know, I've just, heard about this person. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so you get the asbestos suit Jesus, where you just, you put him on and you, you, you get out of the fires of hell by, and you know, by just saying a few words or or doing a few things and I, I was trying to explain what faith is it 's not it 's not just believing certain facts it's it 's you 're actually weighing yourself down you 're trusting with trusting in another person uh, and another person 's work and that, that and that that produces a kind of union with christ it 's different than the, the, the wouldn't once you've truly f- put your trust in Jesus, you wouldn't go away from that saying. Ah, now I can live exactly as I've wanted to live yes. all along. I get to go, you know, hang out with my prostitutes and and you know, just continue to continue to yeah, embezzle from my church. It's gonna be great. That's right. Kick and dogs. now i get
2: forgiven. Right. <laughs> well, I always tell people, I'm like, well, first of all, tell me, tell me, let's name names here. Who are you talking about? Yeah, who is you this know? person? Like, who is this person? Like, I want to know who this person who says. I understand the Bible. I've confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm a regular tender at church. I pray, you know, like the, all this, all the things you're saying. And yet also I'm um, doing all these terrible things without any want. And, and simultaneously I'm saying, well, I'm forgiven so I can do whatever I want. Like, show me this person. And then, you know, and then I'd love to talk to him because he's got some problems. Uh, but you know, what I then turn it back on is like, well, what about, do you do that? Like, what are you doing? You know, let's not worry about the other person. Like, what is this faith? Um, doing for you, you know, and they're like, well, you know, it brings me comfort and I do, and I am here. And, you know, it's like the guy I talked to this, to this um, belabored young fa- father of these, like four young children. And he's like, well, I wish I could be doing more like, like we talked about, like all I'm doing is laying down my life for my life, wife and kids. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're, why don't you just hold on right there and, and just enjoy, enjoy the ride um, as it were. And so I think that's where I'm uh, the hypotheticals of what the, the, the hypothetical person who, who confesses this deep and sincere abiding love for Christ and his rests on his atoning sacrifice alone, who then simultaneously just wantonly abuses it. Well, you know, I haven't personally met anyone like that. I've met people who say, you know, I'm a Christian and what that means is that they, you know, were baptized, you know, and they've never been back or they, you know, went to a camp when they were, we were, Twelve and they've never been back. They basically have no no sort of visible living connection to a Christian entity of any kind, um, you know, whether it's my church or not. And they may be doing wanton things that are just evincing like a lack of faith or trust or, you know, and so I have some problems with that in theory. Um, But in practice, people who have come to me in my church who have been – you know, caught by the power of the Spirit and have seen their need and found it in Christ are people who are working out, as Paul says, their faith with fear and trembling or salvation, fear and trembling. They're amazed that God could love them and yet are working through that love and bearing fruit as a result. And so um uh, thanks be to God.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to throw in the towel on today's show. We are out of the time that we allot for ourselves. As always, there's more we could have said. If you'd like to keep our conversation going, please be in touch. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. We do so appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we will be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm.